Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, as I said, we are concluding our series um, this week on the understanding and the examination of what it means to love God wholly with all of us, with all that we are. And I will confess this morning, to begin with, um, that I have fallen prey uh, numerous times to today's specific direction, which is to love God wholly with all of our might, our body. And when I say I failed, I'm not talking about loving God particularly, I'm talking more about what it means to engage in things and allow this battle between our will and our flesh to rage, and in some ways, and maybe you've been here before, allowing the flesh to win. Most of the time, uh, more times than I would like to recall, when the flesh has won for me, it is because I've gone to the grocery store to pick up one thing, I did so on an empty stomach, And I left the store with a cart full of stuff that I don't need, but looked so good in the moment. I do hear those amens. Thank you for that. That makes me feel a little better that I'm in good company. But certainly as we look at this specific context of what it means to love God wholly with all of our might, our strength, our body, whichever way you'd like to say it, we engage directly in this understanding that the battle between will and flesh, or the battle between the, the inner parts of us, the heart and the mind and the soul, which we talked about in collaboration the last two weeks, and the body, the doing part of it, this practical week is the outpouring of the love that we have for God through our mind, through our heart, and within our soul. And so as we finish up this series, this all-in moment of realizing that this practical outcome of the love that we have manifests itself through the actions that we take, the the, the steps that we take. Deuteronomy 6.5 reads, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And once again, I'll give it to you this final time. The series point is this, the challenge, the encouragement, the the, the one thing God asks, love God wholly. And so if you're following along, start there because this is the main point, the main prospect from which we jump from love God wholly. I read a short excerpt when I came to the platform this morning regarding our uh, key passage today, our main passage today from John's Gospel, chapter 14. And specifically in this Gospel, I read just a small portion that talks about what God is doing and how He is moving, even when in the context of the world that we see maybe some hopelessness or a lot of hopelessness or discouragement or despair. And in the midst of that, Christ brings forth a specific promise. In this passage, we hear or we see on, the, on the, the heels of some very important conversations, we see that the disciples have followed Jesus for three years. They have been about this business. They've been, they've been with Him. They've been part of His miracles. They've been part of His teaching. They've, they've walked with Him. They've followed Him. They, they slept where He slept. They worked where He worked. They taught where He taught. And now in this point, after these three years of them giving everything, they're hearing this message that all the things that they thought were to come to fruition, the kingdom they thought was going to happen, is not really going to happen the way they thought. Everything was turned upside down because Jesus says, I am going to die. 
And that brings a little bit of discouragement to the disciples because, one, they had these plans figured out. And I don't know about you, um, um, I'm here sometimes when we have plans, we think we know what the future is going to look like, and all of a sudden a curveball is thrown. It's kind of like, oh, I'm kind of discouraged because I knew the path. And all of a sudden the path has been changed. And then beyond that, they hear about this betrayal that's going to take place, and one of them is going to betray him. And they're all kind of like, is, is it me? It can't be me. And at the same time, he even talks about there's going to be one Peter who's going to literally deny me in my time of need, which we read about last week. In essence, Jesus ruined the Passover meal, this, this time that they were supposed to come together to celebrate what God has done by bringing forth this new understanding that was confusing and somewhat discouraging. And they find themselves at this place thinking, Jesus, what was it all for? Why did we do this? Why did we follow you? Can I ask this rhetorical question, maybe a couple of rhetorical questions? The first one is, have you ever been discouraged before? Yeah, relatable, okay. Maybe a follow-up to that is, what cheers you up? What brings you encouragement when you've been discouraged? Can I just tell you right now, one of the things I recognize specifically through what Jesus teaches and what he says is specifically in this vein of recognizing the discouragement of his disciples. And certainly there's a universal principle that's tied in here to us. There's a discouragement that we sometimes experience or maybe continually experience in this life. And Jesus brings forth this reminder promise. This exclaimed promise brings light, brings encouragement, brings joy in the midst of the discouragement. And often one who's discouraged uh, when, they're, when they walk through a difficult time, they promise this goodness brings forth an uplifting moment. And Jesus brings a promise, gives a promise that desires a specific action through obedience when it's received. And this promise specifically is that he will not leave us. Now, you amen to the part about the cart full of snacks, but you didn't amen the fact that God is not going to leave us. Can I just say this again? The promise that God gives us is He will not leave us. All right, I love it. (laughs) Nothing like a little begging this morning to get us involved. I want to read in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 31, and it reads like this, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live." On that day, you will realize that I am my Father, and I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me, the the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Kind of some repetition bringing back, okay, I think I already answered this, but I'll just go back to it again. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. I will not say more, much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. You know, in this passage, it's interesting to note that there is a a little bit of confusion when it comes to the context of who's doing what and and where the roles come from and and, and is God powerful? Is Jesus really God? And the the prospect here actually paints a picture of a very loving and intergrained and and interactive trinity of of a God that that, that sends, uh, God the Father that sends the advocate, sends the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit that, that, that affirms Jesus. Jesus therefore calls for the coming of the 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 Holy Spirit at the same time obeys God the Father. And these loving relationships all kind of surround one another. These loving relationships reflect and bring forth a picture of what it means to truly honor and to love God. You know, as we make this passage kind of come to life, it's an interesting note right there at the beginning that Jesus has attempted to try to comfort his disciples. The first thing he says is, if you love me, keep my commands. And I'm sure that the disciples are like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. We've already been keeping your commands. We've been doing what you say. We've been following you. And then he follows it up with a, now let me give you something else. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I don't know if you've ever had a substitute before. I used to love having substitute teachers. It's somebody else to get to know, right? That's the reason that we love substitutes, but I, I remember when a substitute teacher would come, I would always give them all of my attention, and I would always listen, and I would always be as helpful as possible, and we talked about uh, vulnerable confession several weeks ago, so. But in essence, I'm sure the disciples had somewhat of a, of a reflective moment, like, wait a minute, we've been following you for three years, and now you're going to send somebody else. Why on earth would you leave? Why would you go now when we're at the height of this whole thing? You're going to send this other one to come to kind of fill in the blanks. And what Jesus is is responding to is this need in the hearts and the minds of his disciples, the needs in the hearts and the minds of all created people, that there must be some advocate that would come to bring forth an opportunity for us to experience the goodness of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. Because perhaps you didn't realize this, but the grace that we have, that we experience through God, we can only experience because God made the first move through the power and the nature of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit himself is the one that brings us into this relationship and this communication where we can even hear God's voice, where we can know his ex- and experience his voice, where we can read scripture and know him in a greater way. 
It's interesting to note on the other end that this goes into a very practical discussion, a very practical monologue, I should say, with one question that goes back into a monologue again, reflecting upon the fact that Jesus very clearly makes it clear in every way how you reflect and show that you love God. And it's very simple. It's through your action. And it's not just something that we check the boxes. I've done these things because it starts with heart. And that's why we talked about heart and mind and soul the last two weeks. But instead, it starts with heart and it manifests itself through action. If you love God, you'll keep his commands. As we kind of walk through this passage, I want to just back up and we're going to kind of walk through. I want to look at some core principles and then some implications that go along with each one. This being a more practical service, this being a more practical sermon, there's some specific things that we can take from each point and we can step forward in. Christ, first of all, is the author of love, and in his distress, he offers love to us. And the first core point is this, that Jesus sees his followers in their distress and he brings encouragement. Thank the Lord for God's goodness and his willingness to step into the darkness, to come into this world in a literal sense, and then figuratively to step into our world to be part with us. It's right there, specifically in the first part of 16. It says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Has anyone in here, just a show of hands, met somebody or knows somebody who's a really good gift giver? Anybody? I know some really good gift givers. I don't mean like they give you like a, a, you know, a solid gold brick or like a, a new car or house. They, they give very, very intentional, very thought out gifts, thoughts, uh, gifts that, that will be something that will be practical or helpful or encouraging. Not too long ago, and I, some of you know this, I created a holiday when I was younger um, that was a, basically a second birthday for me, and I'll tell you that story some other day. And uh, the only people that still celebrated are a few uh, people that think it's kind of funny, and then my parents. And my parents actually sent me a package in the mail, and I actually forget when the holiday is every year, but I got this package in the mail, and I opened the package up, and it had all these very practical gifts in it. And then right there in the middle of all these practical gifts, there was, you know, some socks and all these practical gifts, there was a Snickers bar. And it wasn't just the mini size, it wasn't the family size, the fun size, it was the main uh, you know, it was like the biggest thing you can get, the one that's almost like a novelty, it's too big, right? Bigger than the family size. And I thought to myself for just a minute, first of all, all these practical things are great, but this last one, this really big candy bar, shows that they love me in a way where they even remembered several months ago when I said that Snickers, were my, or Snickers was my favorite candy. And I thought to myself how, how they, they, they watch my sermons and they listen and they have feedback and that kind of thing. And I thought to myself how, how nice it was that they gave me these specific things. And then uh, a few days later, they called and they said, hey, we want to come visit just to say hello. And I can't help but realize the fact that this gift was great, but their presence was even greater. And God gives us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the, through the goodness of the Holy Spirit, He gives us gifts. He gives us talents. And you probably recognize some of those in your life, maybe in large part or in small, in and, and, and the things that God has blessed you with, your time, your talent, and your treasure. But certainly the greatest gift that God could give and He does give is the presence of Himself. You know, I, I've had a conversation this past week in, in our membership class with an individual about hell and why hell is so bad. And the reason hell is so bad isn't because of the fire or because Satan's there or because of all the the bad things that we see in cartoons. No, the reason hell is so bad is because we're not in the presence of God. His goodness is gone. 
His, his, his presence is gone, and we are therefore in lost, lonely agony. And the implication is this, that God embraces us with his loving presence. And the amazing thing about that is it is a gift. Can I say that again so we can really let this sink in? God's presence in our life is a gift. It is not something we have to buy or something we earn or something that we have to, 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 to somehow measure up to. Instead, God's presence in our life is a gift. We just have to receive it. You wouldn't receive a gift. Uh, you know, somebody hands a gift to you for, for your birthday or on Christmas and you say, well, that's great and just kind of leave it under the tree or, or just leave it somewhere and just walk away. No, you would open it and, you would, and you, would, you would enjoy it. That's what God wants for us. He's given us this gift and he encourages us. He challenges us to open it, to enjoy it, to be in the presence of a holy God. He holds out his arms and with love, he grants himself in love as we embrace him. The second big point that I, I see from this is the advocate, the Holy Spirit's primary role is to help us and be with us forever. If I can talk more about encouragement, I don't know what it would be to think about. The, the, it, there's nothing more that can encourage us than the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us and will be with us. That's a promise from God forever. He will encourage and he will be with us. He will help us and go beyond. Verse uh, 16, the, the second part of it says, and yet the advocate is to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the beginning part of 17. The implication takes a step further in impressing this nature of the father. As the verses continue, it says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we read in Scripture that we're supposed to take care of the widow and the orphan. And the reflection there is obviously literal. We should take care of those that are in need. But it's also figurative in the means that we should also take care of anybody who cannot or has the, it does not have the ability to help themselves. It doesn't have the ability and the, and the strength and the, and, the, and the power to be able to help themselves. We should step in and, and help. And certainly right here, God is recognizing that we are all helpless. We are all orphans without him. We, are all we all find ourselves in a place where we are spiritually dead. And what he says as he steps in by giving us the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help us and be with us is that he grants us a father. And the implication here is that God will not leave us as children without a father. He will not leave us as children who are suffering, who have no caretaker, who have no one that will lead us, guide us, no shepherd, no comforter, no presence. If you like promises, especially specifically in times of distress or discouragement, these are the promises that you can hold on to. These are the promises that we can grasp and find real and lasting relief and excitement and joy. God won't leave us. He is a gift, and, and we have him in our midst. We open that gift, and he will not leave us. Instead, he'll help us. And that help doesn't always look like just saying, okay, yeah, you're good, keep going. Sometimes there's conviction in that help. Sometimes there's encouragement. Sometimes there's both. But God will help us in that midst. Verse 21 reads like this. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is that practical sense. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The third response is this, or the third point is this. Our response to God's gift of himself is to keep his commands. Simple. Obey his teaching. Keep his commands. Obey his teaching. And you might ask at this point, well, what are God's commands? And we have talked about here, actually in the last couple of weeks, we talked about this, particularly two weeks ago. Specifically, we talked about the greatest command, loving God and loving people, and what it means to really engage in God. But here's the reality of it. Sometimes it's difficult for us to love God by keeping his commands because we don't know what his commands are. And the reason for that is because we don't know what his word says. And perhaps if there's any conviction that's going to come today, it's going to come in this specific point, and that is this. We need to know what God's Word says. And the simplest way to do that, let me just tell you, it's just kind of a hint, is to read it, to listen to it, to reflect upon it, to ingest the truths and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And certainly we've talked about practical ways, and I have even here from the platform, on what, how we read Scripture and how we allow Scripture to change us, to indwell within us, to transform us, and we allow the Spirit to move in and through it. And there are different practical ways you can do that. But the simplest thing is just to sit down, to pray, to reflect, and say, God, speak to me, and then to read His Word. If you need a reading plan, I'd be more than happy to come along and help you in a practical way to put together a reading plan. If you need someone that you want to read alongside, I'd be more than happy to try to connect you with somebody else where you can read together and you can affirm each other and you can have accountability in that. But certainly, if we want to know what God's commands are, we want to follow His commands, we need to know what they are by actually familiarizing ourselves with His Word. We let the Word speak. We let the Word impress upon us. And the implication is this, God states that obeying his teaching affords the opportunity for God to make his home with us. I will say this, sometimes scripture is used improperly and sometimes the truth sometimes can get distorted. And part of the reason for that is because there's knowledge up here, but not necessarily knowledge or relationship in here. It's gotten cold over the last couple of weeks, and I was sitting in my basement just a, a few days ago with the, with the wood burner going, and the door was open, and I was just kind of watching the fire. I was watching, the, the TV was on, and the kids were there, and I was just kind of watching the fire, and I was reflecting upon the fact that I was letting a fire literally burn inside my house. Anywhere else in the house, if there was a fire burning, I would have been trying to get water. I'd have called the fire department. I would have done anything I could to try to put that fire out. But I was allowing that fire to burn right there in that wood burner. And the more I reflected upon that in a spiritual sense, the more I realized that sometimes we have the knowledge, we have all these things, we allow them to kind of manifest themselves. And when done so, anywhere where, instead of where, or, or rather than where they are supposed to be, how they are supposed to be applied, and the way the Spirit leads us to apply them, they are dangerous. And so it's not just about recognizing or reading the Word and trying to use it or manipulate it to, to make our principles work or to make our values uh, more important than someone else's. Instead, it's all about allowing the Holy Spirit to speak in a healthy and authentic way.
God states that obeying His teaching affords the opportunity for God to make His home with us. God doesn't state that obeying His teaching or reading His Word gives us the opportunity to have our way or to always win the argument. Obedience, particularly within the, the first action of receiving salvation, means it's, it's by which Revelation 3.20 reads like this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Obeying his teaching, particularly with salvation, affords the opportunity for God to make his home with us. The final point, or the fourth point, I should say, reads like this, the Holy Spirit will teach. And that's a promise. In verse 26, it reads like this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That's a promise. That's God's promise to us. And the great thing about it is he doesn't come to the promise and say, okay, as long as you've got everything figured out or you're perfect when you come to me, then you're good to go. No, it says that the Holy Spirit will teach. And the way that we learn, and perhaps you've recognized this, is with an open posture to listen and to absorb and then make changes or to, to, to follow the example that's been placed before us, even in the Word. Last Sunday afternoon before I came back for uh, our community collective groups, I, I went out to our um, chicken coop in the back, and I was just going to pull the eggs real quick since it's been getting cold, and I didn't want them to freeze, and I, I opened the first box, and I pulled some eggs out. I opened the second box, and all of a sudden, I looked down, and there was this little furry creature hissing at me. And I thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Well, I hope none of the chickens are dead. He was laying there. It was a possum, and he was laying there in a puddle of cracked eggs. And so I went back into the house, and um, I got a gun, if that's okay to... I was just going to scare him. And I told... My wife said, I'm going to go back outside. I've got to take care of something. <laughs> and I went back outside. And as I looked in there again, I thought, I don't, know, I don't want to shoot him in there because I didn't want the mess. I didn't want to scare the chickens. And so I took a fishing net. And I put it in the box. And he ran right into it. I thought, oh, this is easy. Perfect. And so I, I pulled him out. And he's kind of struggling a little bit. And I put the net down and that was dumb. And so then he, he ran out of the net and he, he ran, well, he didn't want to be near me for whatever reason, but he, he ran in the grass and big open area. And so my first instinct was to fire a couple of warning shots at him. And I realized I wasn't going to hit him. So I, I tried to catch up to him and I got a little closer. And I fired a couple more warning shots at him until he disappeared into the woods behind our house. And I shouted a couple things, you know, don't come back. <laughs> it was all rated G, I can tell you right now. I wasn't really angry. I just didn't want him to come back. I wanted to scare him off, right? I thought, that's the end of that. Uh, and so later that night, I, I thought, okay, in case he comes back, I'm going to set up a live trap. And so I put a live trap out and put some treats in there for him. And uh, 
couple nights went by and he didn't come back. And then I get a call later in the week from my wife. I was here at the office and she said, well, our friend is back. And I said, well, I'll take care of it when I get home. Don't worry about it. And um, then the next call I got was, we got him. <laughs> or as a text, I should say. And I come home to this story about my wife doing the same type of thing she had learned from me, the fishing net. She opened it up. She got him in the fishing net. And uh, the way she tells it, she tells a little bit more. Like my stories, if, if you notice, they don't really have as much motion. But she's holding the net and it's jumping around and it's trying to get out of the net. And she finally is able to get him around to where the open live trap is that didn't work, obviously, because he went back into the chicken coop again. And she, she gets him down and puts it down real quick. And he runs and she kind of nudges him and he runs into the trap and she closes it real quick on him. And I thought, okay, that's good. She learned a little bit from me and then at the same time took it a step further and actually got him in there. And I got home that night and she said, okay, take care of him. And I said, it's a live trap for a reason. And so he's living over at Pastor Seth's house now. I let him go. <laughs> just kidding. That last part's just a joke. learning how to be farmers, I can tell you. <laughs> We're learning a little bit from other people. We're learning a little bit from experience. We're learning a little bit from the book, so to speak. And I think it's interesting as we kind of walk through life, we recognize the fact that there is always something to learn. And I think that we find ourselves in a good place specifically when we realize how much we don't know. When it comes to spiritual things in this context of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, sometimes it might seem overwhelming. The world, the things that we maybe don't know, the, 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 the things about Scripture or whatever it might be, and Satan can use that as a tool to try to discourage us. But let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit will teach and it doesn't matter how you come to him or on what level you perceive you're at when you come to him. The Holy Spirit will meet you there as the gift, as the advocate, and he will teach. And the implication is that God does not expect us to have it all figure out. Instead, we obey and we learn. All God asks for us to do is to step forward in faith, no matter where we come from, no matter where we are, to step forward in faith. And through his encouragement, through his leading, even through his conviction, we learn. And so what does it mean to love God wholly? It means to follow his commands. Everything we do in life, especially for the first time, is something that we must learn. Let God teach you. Let God lead you. Some bottom line takeaways. I'm going to give you these briefly, and then we're going to, we're going to close with a reprise uh, song. Some encouraging points. The first one is this. Do not be afraid. You are not alone. And if you've ever found yourself alone before, perhaps when you were a child, sometimes it can be particularly scary to be alone, maybe in a dark place, or maybe you have to go down to the basement, or maybe you find yourself alone, lost in a department store, you didn't know where mom and dad were, but you were just alone. Well, verse 27 reads like this, 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why do we have, why, why do we have this statement? Why, why on earth would God say this? Because he knows we don't need to be afraid because he's with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? And the second one is the end. Why to that? God keeps his promises. The Holy Spirit is with you and Jesus will return. And what an affirming thing that is to think that not all the gifts have been unwrapped yet. For Jesus will return and we will receive another gift, this glory, this, this, forma- this transformation as we step from this life into the next, as Christ receives us unto himself as followers, as those who have followed him and have kept his commands. Now, this reality of might is interesting because when loving God with our might, with our strength, with our body is different than all the others. It's this outcoming, this outpouring. This loving is the main response, our tangible action. But it comes from this place of DTR, define the relationship. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.